So please uh, find a relaxed posture for your sitting this morning. Feel free to um, just meditate while I'm talking. You can close your eyes, cross your legs, close your eyes, and listen to the words. If as I'm talking your mind becomes peaceful and you can't hear the words anymore, don't worry, just carry on meditating on that sense of peace. So I hope you can all appreciate the um, goodness of what you're doing today, taking time off uh, from your other duties, your work, your family duties, social duties and things to come and practice meditation in a peaceful place in the forest uh, with the Sangha. Hopefully these occasions give us a chance to learn some more about the Buddhist teachings and the path to a peaceful mind, to enlightenment. And these teachings are very much a method, a way for us to find inner peace. So they're teachings that have to be first learnt, heard and then actually applied in our minds and hearts. We have to actually um, put them into practice. So whatever you learn on these occasions in the monastery, you can also take away with you and continue to apply the same method, same way of practice when you return home. We usually talk about the practice of mindfulness of breathing as the meditation object um, to practice, but it's not the only meditation object available to us. Certainly the Buddhist teachings talk about many different meditation techniques and Whatever I say about the practice of mindfulness of breathing or anapanasati, you can also take many of those words of advice or guidance and apply them to other meditation techniques as well. Because what we're doing is we're learning how to um, know our own minds better. Meditation is developing this quality of inner knowing or inner awareness and uh, all the techniques of meditation are helping us to do this. With the mindfulness of breathing practice, we're using this as a technique to concentrate the mind, to apply our mind, to put attention on the feeling of the in and out breath. So for this period of practice today, you can practice with this learning to 
bring up these qualities the Buddha talked about, sati and sampajanya. And sati means, literally means recollection. Training your mind to recollect the breath. So we say recollect the breath, bring it into your mind's awareness, into your consciousness, make it conscious. Or literally know the breath, make it the thing that you're knowing as you're sitting here practicing meditation. Sampajanya is clear comprehension or means clear understanding of what you're doing. So it might simply be knowing uh, at the moment I'm turning my attention, my mind's attention to the breath, just knowing that much. And as you are trying to concentrate on the breathing, that feeling of the in and out breath, you might notice your mind becoming distracted by thoughts and memories and sensations that come up in your body or sounds and external distractions. So Sampajanya is telling us what I should really be paying attention, paying attention to now is the breathing and not these other things. So it's that quality that recognizes when mindfulness is gone, mindfulness of the breathing is gone, and our job or duty at this point is to bring attention back to the breath and to drop or let go of these other distractions, the other thoughts, sensations, sounds, and so on. So sati is knowing the breath, putting attention on the breath. Sampachanya is knowing why and knowing what you're doing. So sometimes it actually involves explaining to yourself as you're meditating, actually reminding yourself what you're doing and why. Because the nature of the mind is easily distracted particularly if we haven't practiced meditation very much in the past, our mindfulness is not yet strong. So the tendency is to let the mind wander off, stray away from the breath into other moods and thoughts and memories and so on. Or sometimes it just becomes drowsy, falls asleep. So we have to train sati and sampajanya, these two qualities, by learning to put attention on the breath, using all our effort during the meditation to do that. So we don't have to use our effort to think about what we're going to do tomorrow, our work, our family, the future of our life, the future of the world, all the other possibilities. At this time, we can just quietly remind ourselves to set it all aside and just put our effort into knowing the breath going in and out. 
Sampachanya might also be just knowing is the breath going in or is it going out at this point. Knowing the quality of the breath. So you like is it coarse and breathing heavily for some reason or are we experiencing a more refined breath, more subtle feeling of the breathing. And Sampajanya is not judging, he's not saying one is better than the other or anything like that. It's not idealistic saying I should make my breath a certain way. It's just knowing the quality of the breath, whether it's going in and out, whether it's long or short, coarse, refined. It's just helping us to know that much and understand that much at this moment. As we practice, there might be periods where the mind does settle down and it can stay with the breathing better or for longer periods. At that time, the, the breath might become quite subtle. Maybe the feeling of the breath almost disappears or even does disappear. But you still have to rely on these two qualities, sati, sampajanya. So you know or now the breath is very refined or the feeling of the breath seems to have disappeared. You know that much and keep aware of that much. Especially if you're new to meditation that might be a little bit of strange experience. You might bring up doubts, you know, what's going to happen or what should I do now? might bring up a little bit of fear or uncertainty because the normal things that we're used to thinking about, identifying with in our mind, they've disappeared because the mind has become peaceful. So some people feel something's wrong, and they're losing what they're normally attached to, or they're as, as if they're sort of going into space and, and no longer on the ground or whatever, you might have different experiences. But sati and sampajanya at that point just has to remind you of the teachings, of the practice, that the important thing is just to know your mind from moment to moment, whatever's happening, whether it's peaceful or not, whether you can feel the breath or if it's become so refined you can't feel it anymore. Just keep knowing at that point and remind yourself to let go of any worry or fear that might come up or anything like that. That's how we use Sati Sampajanya as our meditation progresses or as we experience different things. Or some people become excited or agitated by feelings of joy or rapture as we meditate. Again, it can be strange new experiences. You can have tingling sensations or feel like hairs are standing on end or you might have tears forming in your eyes. Some people experience a sense of even sort of shaking or moving around in their body. 
other people feel like the body becomes very light or weightless or even seems to disappear altogether, can't feel their bodies. And again, these kind of experiences perhaps will bring up some doubt or uncertainty. But you use sati, sampajanya or mindfulness and clear comprehension at that point just to know that experience, be aware of it, but not make anything out of it in your mind, not to cling on to it, not to want or expect these things to happen, because they may or may not happen. But if they do happen, not to create anything out of them. Just know what is going on and let let go. Allow your mind just to be aware of these experiences. Other people get caught into great expectations about meditation. They want to experience a blissful, peaceful state of mind. Or some people want to see things. They want to see lights or see angels, devatas, see the future, all these different kinds of things we may have heard about. But again, you have to use your mindfulness and clear understanding of what you're going, doing just to recognize these kind of expectations and hopes and not cling on to them as you meditate. If they do come up, just notice them and let them go. And try just to return to the breath and know the breath itself. You don't have to know about these other things or seek out anything else. Just know whether the breath is going in and out, in or out. And this will help your mind to relax more and become more stable. Other people become very frustrated with the practice. They might find that they're not satisfied with the results. Maybe their mind is very agitated or they're falling asleep and they get frustrated or upset with the meditation. But again, this is just something you can know with mindfulness and clear comprehension. Recognize again, observe the frustration arising and how maybe you're creating it yourself, just judging your experience or expecting too much, creating suffering out of, just out of watching the breath, you can create a lot of suffering. So try to be mindful there. And it's not that we don't have to guide our minds as we're practicing meditation, we do. So if we feel meditation is not going very well or very agitated or sleepy, well perhaps we need to put more effort in. So sometimes we have to push ourselves a little bit and say, uh, try a little bit more, try a bit harder. Maybe we're just allowing our mind to drift and wander too easily. Other times we have to relax and just give ourselves some words of encouragement and say not to get too discouraged or disheartened if the uh, mind isn't peaceful yet. Not to give up, not to uh, feel down or disappointed. 
our teacher Ajahn Chah had a teaching for this. He said, say, you're meditating and your mind is not peaceful at all, very agitated, thinking a lot. You're trying very hard to bring mindfulness to the breathing, but the mind keeps wandering away into daydreams and thinking. said, it's a bit like somebody who's hungry and wants to eat and they, uh, they've got some rice. They have some rice to eat but no curry or nothing to go with their rice. No sweets, no salad, no curry, no main dish, just plain rice. So they might feel a little bit disheartened, only got plain rice. But if they're fully aware, they can also reflect, well, plain rice is better than no food at all. If you're hungry, even plain rice will do to fill your stomach. In the same way, if you're meditating and you might find your mind is not yet peaceful, it's all over the place. You can consider, well, even this is better, just making the effort to establish mindfulness of the breathing. Just making the effort to come here to try and do the practice is still something very good, valuable to you. And probably at some point in the future, your efforts will bring bring their results and you will experience more peace and more understanding from your meditation so we have to be patient with the practice it's also helpful to look at the practice as a whole how does meditation fit into our spiritual path or into our life and what kind of qualities support our meditation practice, not just here in the monastery, but in our daily life. So you can see the, the mind state that supports meditation is one of, um, has to be based in kindness and generosity. Often in life, in different situations, we get caught into more selfish thinking and acting in our, our daily lives where we're just thinking about getting things for ourselves, wanting things, desiring things. But when you come to meditate you can also recognize that that leads to a lot of suffering. You know, the mind that is particularly selfish, self-centered, uh, greedy, uh, wanting a lot, is not a happy mind state. And so if we have a lot of selfishness, it's often difficult for the mind to calm down and relax in meditation and be mindful. So the Buddhist path begins with the practice of kindness and generosity in our daily lives as well to help support the deepening of our meditation practice. We have to see the relationship, the mind that is uh, also practicing generosity is a mind that easily quietens down, that easily experiences contentment. So in Buddhism we have all kinds of practices, and particularly the generosity around food, as food is such a basic necessity of life. And we can see in practicing generosity of food, 
whether it's sharing our food with our family members, which we probably do quite naturally, but with friends, uh, with people in society who have little food, sometimes doing charity work in different ways to help others or just sponsor others. And of course supporting Sangha and supporting um, religious institutions by providing food, which uh, most of us do. This actually helps in the practice of meditation because it's teaching us to let go of some of our greed, our attachment, and all the other forms of uh, generosity and kindness that we can bring into our daily life have a very nourishing effect on the mind. And we'll see this when we come to practice meditation. The mind is not so greedy, not so self-obsessed if it's already been practicing kindness and generosity. You might particularly see it in a monastery when, say you come here and you keep the eight precepts. There's just one main meal at 11 o'clock and maybe there's only a limited amount of food. Usually there's plenty of food, but say there was only a limited amount and you're hungry and there's only one meal for the day. And this is how I'll say monks have to, or Sangha members have to practice every day. You also though have to think of the other people around. There's many people here. So it wouldn't be appropriate just to gather up all the best food for yourself or if there's only a little bit of something that's very nice just to take it all for yourself. It wouldn't be appropriate or it wouldn't be a very kind, generous thing to do. But you might have that thought arise if you're feeling hungry and you only have one meal, one chance to eat. You might bring up some selfishness in the mind. We probably have all experienced that, where you want to take something for yourself without thinking of others. But if you recognize that at that point where the selfishness arises and you train yourself to let go of it and maybe train yourself well, just to take an appropriate amount or share what you have or leave some for others. Think of others and just take what you need to learn how to be, say, moderate, modest and moderate in what you consume, what you eat. You'll find, actually, that it makes you very content and happy because you're letting go of greed and you're, you're not just thinking of the pleasure of, of what might come, say, from that food. You're thinking on a higher level, thinking about the needs of others as well as yourself. And it doesn't mean to say that you have to starve yourself or you know, damage your health in some way. It just means to put others into your mind as well as yourself put others' needs there as well as your own needs. This is a great source of happiness when we, when we can do this. It's that kind of happiness that is very nourishing and very supportive for meditation. If you practice generosity, then to come and sit down and meditate is quite uh, a natural step to turn the attention to, the, to letting go of all the distracting, distracting thoughts. And you generally feel quite good.
Another aspect that supports the meditation is, is the practice of sila or restraint. Just learning to be restrained and mindful in the way we live in our daily lives, the way we interact with other people, how we talk and what we do, and the quality of our mind states and our intentions with other people. We're seeing how if we use these precepts that we just took as guidelines for our behavior, helps to restrain these more selfish tendencies, the tendency to harm others in our speech or our actions, the tendency to be, let's say, greedy or immodest in what we consume and how we get it, or in our relationships with others. And the result of this practice of sila and restraint is that we develop a sense of harmony with our fellow human beings, with our fellow family members or neighbors or the people we work with. And this is quite a hard practice sometimes, requires some effort because not everyone else will be doing it. So sometimes we're tempted not to be restrained or harmonious in our behavior. Other people aren't like that, so we sometimes say, well, they're not doing that, I'm not going to do that. But if you practice meditation and start looking at your mind more closely, you can see the, the benefits of practicing sila, restrained behavior, moral behavior, because it allows the mind to calm down, allows the mind to settle down and be more peaceful. You know, this is the happiness of living a restrained lifestyle or modest lifestyle. The mind is actually more content in, inwards, inwardly. And if you are practicing now, say to come and sit down and watch your breath going in and out. You need to have had some basic mindfulness and restraint in your life to be able to just do that, to turn to the breath. Because to be mindful of the breathing is quite subtle. It's not necessarily an easy thing to do, it's quite subtle and takes some effort. If in our daily life we're already too confused or aggressive or unskillful in the way we behave then very difficult to actually come and watch the breath we'll find it too difficult so then meditation maybe just becomes something too difficult to do maybe this is because our external behavior our speech our actions are not yet well trained So once we understand the relationship, say, between the practice of meditation and the practice of generosity and kindness, and restrained, harmonious behavior, then we can see how to support our practice in daily life when we leave the monastery. So it's probably easier to be restrained and harmonious here than when we're out in the 
at home or at work. So we have to take away what we learn here and try to apply it in our daily life. Then when we come to meditate, there's a chance we can practice mindfulness, clear comprehension, really learn to concentrate the mind, make it stable, quiet and relaxed. This is the practice of samadhi bhavana. Samadhi, this word means that the mind that is firmly established and stable in its object. So here we're talking about the breathing meditation, so it becomes firmly established in its awareness or knowing the breathing. So it means all those moments of mindfulness, putting mindfulness onto the breath, becoming aware of the breath, join together to become more continuous so the mind becomes more firm, more stable, more peaceful. This is what we call samadhi. And these moments of samadhi might at first just be literally brief moments where the mind seems to unify, come together. But if we practice often, then we might experience those moments more often and for longer. Maybe a few seconds become a few minutes. A few minutes might become many minutes or even an hour or two sometimes. We can see the relationship then between generosity and sila and samadhi and mindfulness, all these qualities that we're practicing, all joining each other, supporting each other together. But the Buddha said there's two kinds of peaceful mind. One is the mind that is peaceful because of the practice of samadhi and mindfulness, where it's just learning to concentrate on an object like the breath and settle down and become relaxed. That's one kind of peace. But the highest peace is actually the peace where the mind is abandoning or letting go of unwholesome mental states, what we call the mental defilements, the kilesa. And for doing this we need to develop all the other steps and parts of the path together. Then we also need to develop wisdom. And this is what we use our meditation and the samadhi, the concentration that we're developing for, is to actually provide a a base or a foundation to contemplate, to contemplate, to wisely consider all that is arising into our experience of this body, this mind, and to see where these unwholesome mental states, the mental defilements are arising, to recognize them, to see the, the suffering, the harm that they cause us and to let them go. When all these other aspects of the path are there supporting, then wisdom can function, can work to do this. So in the case of the breath, we can start contemplating the the truths about this body and mind. Uh, As the mind settles down, we can start to contemplate 
contemplate to see the impermanence of this body and the mind and all the things that we think about and our mental states and attachments to see how impermanent or changeable they are to see the unsatisfactory nature of this body and mind because it's impermanent there's nothing there to we can really cling on to or grasp at that will bring us any lasting permanent happiness in those things to see the lack of any kind of solid self any kind of substantial lasting ego or self in all of this these are the three areas that the Buddha said we can develop wisdom using our calm peaceful mind to investigate to contemplate our experience if it's the breath itself, we're just contemplating that with our in-breaths and out-breaths. It's perhaps the most obvious thing in the world, but we miss it all the time through our delusions and our attachments. But when the mind is quiet, to turn to contemplate the breath, it's so obvious that the breath is impermanent. We breathe in, and we breathe out and that process is going in on all day long we breathe in and breathe out if you don't breathe in then it means you, you die or if you breathe in you don't breathe out it means you're dying, you're dead our life is that fragile it's that impermanent or subject to change just one blockage of our breathing, say when we get flu or some lung condition or something, already we're struggling if we can't breathe properly. As you're meditating on this, just notice how impermanent life is and how impermanent this breath is. Breathe in, breathe out, all through the day, all the time. The Buddha said, contemplate this to see, well, is this really dukkha or sukha? Is it something satisfactory or unsatisfactory? If something is impermanent as the breath, that's just going in and out all the time, we have to get the next in-breath in order to continue to live. That's not a very satisfactory way to live in that sense. It's not something that is ultimately going to be there all the time that we can rely on. And one day it will stop. In that sense, it's not enduring, it's not lasting, it's not stable. It's not happiness, the ultimate happiness in itself. And what is impermanent and unstable is not anything you can consider to be a self, is it? You can't say this, I am this breath, this breath is me, my permanent self, because it doesn't last. We breathe in, we breathe out, and one day it will stop. So although we are aware of the breath, we know the breath, we also know that it's not the real self, the real me. And this is how you can develop wisdom, just contemplating the breath in this way. And you'll see when the mind is not peaceful, you're thinking a lot, 
difficult to do. We don't really get much insight. The mind is too caught up in things. But when the mind does quieten down, we can start to see the impermanence of the breath. And we relinquish some of that attachment or identification with the self that forms around the breath. And we can indeed apply this technique of insight meditation, contemplating anicca dukkha anatta, or impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, lack of self, in all our experience. Then when the mind does become peaceful and quiet, you'll see there's a sense of the mind gathering together, becoming quiet, not thinking much, just peaceful for a while, then it will come out of that state and start thinking again. At that moment when different thoughts and moods start to come up, and contemplate them. Because the mind is now established in mindfulness, we can do this. We can have a sense of separation between the mind that knows and the experience of this body and the thoughts and the feelings and moods that we have. And as they come up, you're just noting them and observing how impermanent they are. They arise and pass away. You're observing in a detached way, a quiet way, just looking, learning from your own experience. And a sense of separation comes. And with that separation, there's a sense of release or freedom in the mind. Sometimes in Buddhism they call this emptiness, seeing emptiness in your experience. And it doesn't mean to say nothing's there, nothing's happening. We still might have thoughts coming up, feelings coming. We still have a body that we're sitting here with, with our body and it has its different sensations. But it's the mind that is peaceful and calm, looking back at its self and then looking at the body, looking at both body and mind and the contents of the mind with peace, with detachment to see they're all impermanent, unsatisfactory, not self. And this is what we call insight meditation and you see it's very difficult to do it normally. Normally we're just thinking too much, caught up in the busyness of our life, thinking about our work, our activities, our family, our health, the past, the future, all these things. But at these times when you're peaceful, you can quietly turn to watch your own mind and what's coming up. You can watch your body, your mind, and see these three characteristics of impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, not self, in there. And this gives the mind a sense of release, a release from what it normally identifies with or grasps at. That release is very pleasant, very peaceful. And this is the results of the practice. This is the mind that is letting go of these mental defilements that cause us so much suffering. These mental defilements that create our attachments when you start to let go of them, then the mind settles down, becomes much more peaceful. So there's a sense of release or freedom. 
like getting uh, free from an illness or getting out of a debt you've been in for a long time. Or even just waking up from sleep. You've been like in deep sleep for a long time, now you've woken up and seen the true nature of things. So the mind feels very free and released from suffering. And this is the, the value of insight, wisdom that comes through the meditation. So I've talked for quite a while now, giving you some idea about the practice. The weather is a little bit uh, wet today, but it's not heavy rain and hopefully it will stop. So the next period this morning will be a walking meditation period for about half an hour. And in these periods, uh, you can find a few spots under cover. There's the uh, kitchen hall down there in veranda, the veranda around this hall. Or if it's heavy rain, you can always do extra sitting. But if you're doing walking meditation, then you're developing the same kind of inner awareness and knowing of the present moment. If you find it difficult to watch the breathing as you're walking, then focus your mindfulness on the feeling of your feet touching the ground, lifting off, touching again. And just find a spot where you can walk back and forwards for about maybe 20 paces or so, or whatever you can find, whatever suits you. And try to walk just quite naturally, quite easily. And keep bringing up this sense of inner knowing, knowing of your mind, your body as you're walking and letting go of distraction. So we have this uh, half an hour walking meditation period. At the end of that there'll be a bell that will um, let you know it's time to come back in for the next sitting session. So please feel free to uh, move outside, change your posture. Walking will help you to balance your meditation so you don't get too hot, uh, too painful with sitting. I'll also be giving a talk now in Thai, so if you don't want to listen in Thai, you can also do the walking meditation. <laughs>